Some of you are here for the first time today and you're coming in at the end of a series we called Fight Club and it has just been a ride. <laughs> I'll just say it like that. It has been a ride. In round one, we spoke about the spiritual battle that Christians find themselves in and sometimes being unaware of it, we get gut punched and uh, we learn how to brace for this battle. We learn in round two and three just how, where that battle takes place, all in the mind. And we learn especially how to recognize and break agreements that we made with the lies of the enemy and how to replace those with the truth. In round four to seven, we went on the offensive and we started choosing our weapons. I'd call it the Choose Your Weapon Trilogy. That didn't go down. Anyways, we talked about praying and declaring God's word. And then we spoke about how do we use praise and worship as a weapon. And lastly, we talked about sharing my testimony, the story of Christ in me and Christ through me, and how to share the gospel with people, how we fight and set ourselves up for a victory by reminding ourselves of how Jesus came through for us. And secondly, um, also how... Um, that victory is available to other people and how God wants to share the gospel through us. Today, and in our final round, we're going to talk about this title, Fight as a Family, or Fight Like a Family. But I wanted to say Fight as a Family is what I mean by Fight Like a Family, okay? Because <laughs> some of you, when I said Fight Like a Family, you're like, huh? <laughs> Can't we talk about that in church? <laughs> You know, it's often said that if a lion and a tiger has to fight one-on-one, -on -one, it's likely that the tiger will win. But if a group of tigers come up against a pack of lions, the lions win hands down every time because they know how to fight like a family and not just a bunch or a group of individuals. Are you guys ready? The final... Eighth and final round of Fight Club. And the last time I get to ring my awesome bell in church. <laughs> sometimes I have to be reminded because sometimes I, I forgot. But it's been a fun, fun series. And I know that we have shared with you tools that if you would use them, they will set you up for becoming overcomers. You know, the Bible says that Jesus gained a victory for us. And his desire is to see his children walk in that victory. How many of you, if you buy your children a gift and they don't end up using it, you kind of feel like, eh. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, I just bought you this awesome guitar, but you're not playing it ever. You know, that same feeling Jesus gets when you and I don't take up these tools and use them to, to, to let the kingdom of God sink deeper into our own lives and to be, to be used by God for, for advancing his kingdom around us. So today we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about natural family. We're going to talk about spiritual family. And we're going to talk about natural family in the sense of the dad, mom, and kids unit. And then spiritual family in a sense of a local church. I know we all belong to the greater body of Christ, and that is a very big reality and an awesome truth that makes us kin, brothers and sisters, to every single Christian out there, no matter what church and denomination they belong to. So if you have a beef with somebody, make sure that you sort it out, because one day you're going to face him in heaven. And he's going to be like, what was that all about, bro? You know, like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? We live in peace with the body of Christ. We don't have any beef with the body of Christ. Our beef is with the enemy the devil and his hordes that tries to take us away from faith in Jesus. 
That doesn't mean we don't challenge each other. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, speak into each other's lives and, 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 and debate things out. But it means that I accept you as my brother. But today we're going to talk about, or my sister, today we're going to talk about the local church. I mean, us here, OSC Crowley, not even just OSC, big OSC, all three of us together, but belonging in a specific house. <clears throat> now, both these families are like the bedrock of society. They are the health of a society. When the family unit breaks down, the fight becomes exponentially more difficult. When the local church starts breaking down, our fight becomes exponentially more difficult. And so do not ever rejoice when a local church is going through suffering. No matter what church it is, the local church is a preserving force in our society. And I pray that God's revival will hit every single church in his kingdom. Because as the local church thrives, earth is preserved. There's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, um, if you break through a wall, you might be bitten by a snake. And I believe that verse talks about following the ancient paths, following the way God has set life up to work and not deviating from it. You know, God intended for family to be a mom and a dad with kids that multiply and subdue the earth. And God intended but through his son Jesus that there would be church family units in each city that provide leadership, that provide life for one another, and is a preserving force in that society. When we start tinkering on these two family units, we break through the proverbial wall. And on the other side are often things that we never thought would happen to us. We sometimes think, oh man, this is a good idea. I don't need all of that. I don't need all of this. You know, it's so important to go to church every Sunday kind of things. You know, we can do it creatively our way. Well, be careful. As you break through that wall, there might be some unknowns that you run into that you could have never known, that you would have never faced if you stayed within the ancient paths that Jesus has laid down for us to walk in, which those are his instructions. Is instructions. And my wife and I had a little uh, chat yesterday about, um, was it even this morning? Early this, mo early this morning, actually, when we were um, visiting before church and all that, um, <clears throat> she read a, ver um, a, a verse out, out, of, out of Psalm 1, and it talked about the law of God. And it says the law of God, or, and it says the instruction of the Lord. And I think to myself, and, and we would spoke, spoke about this, how often when we see the law of God, we see a negative thing. But when you think of the law of God as the instructions of God, the instruction of the Lord that leads to life, what you get for following it is life. And so God does never want to restrict us. If there is ever something where he says a no, it is always because it's going to protect us and it's going to lead us to the still waters that he promised he would do as, as our good shepherd. So I want to talk about three things today that are kind of loosely fitted together. Um, they don't necessarily flow out of each other, but together they have, they've just stuck into a, a message about fighting like a family, fighting as a family that I really believe is necessary for us to hear as we end our Fight Club series. The first point I want to make to you today is that we need to lead our kids in Christ. 
Now, I know some of you are um, past that age, but there are many of you who are still in that age. And today's parenting philosophies are so very contrary to what Scripture teaches us. And it's important for us to realize that, you know, the, the reason why people start deviating from Scripture is not necessarily because Scripture doesn't work. It's probably because it was misrepresented either or people didn't want to deal with their sin. And that's why they deviate from Scripture, trying to explain Scripture away. God wants us to teach our children and to lead them in Christ. So I know this is an old adage, but it needs to be said. The whole thing about, you know, don't, don't, don't do what I do, do what I tell you to do. Y'all say that as well? Yeah. Can we just, can we just like ax that out of our vocabulary? We spoke about cleaning up of our, our vocabulary, right? That is something that we ought never to say as Christians. Uh, find something new. <laughs> You're creative enough to find something new. Um, it's really important that we, that we make sure that <clears throat> we, we teach and lead our kids in Christ. Isaiah 54 verse 13 says this, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. If your children are struggling in anxiety and struggling in stress, you have to realize that there is a missing part in their lives where their peace will come from that they have not encountered yet. And I guarantee you that if you introduce them to a relationship with God, if you introduce them and show them how you walk in a relationship with God, you will bring great peace to your children. If you teach them about the sovereignty of God, if you teach them how God is in control of the outcome of their lives, and they learn how to rest in that fact, it brings great peace to their little souls. Here's the thing that we need to understand, that even though they are children, they don't have junior spirits. And their, their souls are just as in need of peace and assurance and love as your and mine is. And so sometimes we think of children and we think to ourselves, man, you know, they don't need to know yet. No, they do. As soon as they can put words together, they need to start saying the name of Jesus. And they need to start singing to God. And they need to start putting their faith and their trust in His providence for their lives. We need to interpret life for them. We need to define the why to them. You know, kids always ask, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go there? Why can't I do this? And you know what? The season to say, because I said so, passes around the age of faith. Five. Sorry, I'm mixing my languages there, mixing my tales. It ends around about the age of five, six, when you are no longer able to just tell them because I said so. Now, up until that time, they need to understand when, when you say something, it is so. But we take that way too far. If you're still telling your teenager because I said so, you're losing them at a rapid pace. You need to learn to interpret for them life. Give them the why. I think we say because I say so because we don't know the why. It's time you figure out the why for why you're doing this. Because if you're just doing it because somebody told you to do so, then there's no life in it for you either. But as you find life and you find why, you'll be able to provide them why. 
I've often told my kids that, listen, we do things different because we are children of God. And we would like our lives to honor Him, to please Him, because we're thankful for saving us. And that's why we do things different. And I've had to explain that in many different scenarios to them. Look, we're not going to talk like that. You know, because that's actually disrespectful to God. And in our hearts, we want to honor and glorify Him. We don't want to disrespect Him. And so things that have become so, you know, culturally okay to do, we refuse to partake in it because it's disrespectful. It's not glorifying to God to do that. But from the very first time my children were able to understand a concept of logic, I have explained this to them. And so now when I give them a reason, they're able to understand it and they're able to link it to the, to the, to the lineage of reason that I've been laying down as a foundation to them because I from a very early age stopped telling them because I said so. Now when they're obstinate and they don't want to listen to my reason, then I go back to, I am dad. And because I said so, it is so. But so often when you are diligent by interpreting life for them, you never have to go back to that. You never have to pull rank because they've understood. And their hearts have actually connected to that why. Their hearts have connected to that reason. They too want to honor God. They too want their lives to be a blessing to Him. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 7, it says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. First and foremost, we need to carry God's commandments on our hearts. If it's on your heart, you can impress it, like the verse says, on your children's heart. If it's not on your heart, all it's going to be for them is a law. All it's going to be for them is dead tradition. It's dead religion, and it won't produce any life in them. We need to lead our children in Christ, not just tell them to, to do stuff. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, in other words, when you're traveling, when you lie down, when you get up in the mornings and the evenings. Every single morning as we go to school, we pray. And I lead my kids in prayer. I teach them the words to say. Look, it started off as just being a thing they said, but as I'm coaching them and as I'm showing them how to respond in a relationship and have conversation with God, now it's becoming real to them. And they pray now out of their own hearts things that I have taught them how to say. Second thing we need to do to, 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 to lead our kids in Christ is we need to discipline them. Discipline is becoming so out of fashion. But you know what? It's one of those ancient paths that if you break through them, on the other side of it are serpents that are going to bite you that you could never have seen. But when I say discipline, and I'm talking about long before punishment is repetitive training and, uh, and, and reiterating and repetition and, and, and modeling. That's what the Bible actually means when it says train up a child in a way he should go, Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. Training involves repetition. It involves instruction. It involves modeling. It's not just punishment for when they did something wrong. In fact, before you've instructed a kid on something, you can't punish them for doing something wrong. How does that even make sense? 
They didn't know it was wrong, so how can you punish them? We're just so quick to pull out that verse that says, spare not the rod. <laughs> if they didn't know they did anything wrong, all you're doing is hitting them. And they don't understand why. The reason why the rod is there is to reinforce that the instruction that was given, if not followed, has consequences. That's the only thing. And so before you've instructed, you cannot correct. So here's what I do with Gray. Gray is, is now coming into a phase where he is like vocal. I mean, he, is, <laughs> he talks the whole time. And he's opinionated and strong in his, in his view of matters, right? But like when he says something that's disrespectful to Esther, I step in. And I said to him, no, son, that's not how you talk to your mother. Now, what I've been taught to do myself was I would just get a fussing. How, how dare you talk to your mother like that? Go to your room. Okay, I feel bad about talking to my mother like that, but I still don't know how to do it right. I come out and now I try a different thing. Wrong again, different thing, wrong again. And so many children are just left to their own devices of trial and error. Why don't we just do and why don't we just tell them, here's how you would say that. I understand what you try to say, but let me give you the words. Let me teach you the words. And then I tell him, all right, no, say it. No, 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 tell it. And he goes, like, oh, dad. I'm like, yeah. How else are you going to learn to do it if you don't try it? And then he's already forgotten what I told him. I said, see, that's why you have to say it, because you've already forgotten it. My boy is four. He's already understanding everything I, I, I talk to him. We have such a low view of children's capacity to learn. Children can learn multiple languages before the age of five if they're exposed to it. Amen. You can't even do it that fast right now. Their brains are supercharged for learning at that age. Use it. Don't just go, oh, you know what, they'll figure it out on their own. No. They won't. They'll figure out the things that they're exposed to. What are they exposed to? They're exposed to culture. Look, you can't compete with an hour on a Sunday in children's church with 40 hours of school exposure to kids around them. You can't compete with that. Don't expect that hour to fix anything. All that hour needs to do is reinforce what you're telling them, what you're telling them at home. We're just partnering with you. It's not our job to train your kids. It's your job to lead them in Christ. And this is how you do it. Correct them. Model them. Tell them, hey, this is how I would say it. When he hurts his sisters, even though he's four, he's the smallest of all of them. But he's a boy and he's rough. I correct him. But I correct him by sharing a principle, not by letting him feel bad. I said to him, you, we, we never hurt girls. I tell them, boys never hurt girls. And I don't care how society is starting to talk about gender and all of these things. I'm training my child up in the ways of the Lord. And boys need to know that it's never right to hurt girls. It's never right to take something from a girl that is rightfully hers. It's never right to go and stand in a position that, 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 that she is due to have. And so I teach him how to respect, the, respect his, his sisters. I tell him this, 
no matter how mad they make you or how badly they've humiliated you, you never raise your hand for it. And so you're like, okay, dad. But then I tell them, all right, now, if they make you mad, here's how you deal with it. And I tell them what to say. I said, now say it back to me. And then he says it back to me. I said, no, say it to them. Then he says it to them. Then I tell them, how do you respond to this? I am role-playing the conflict out until it resolves. Guess what's happening? (laughs) It's like I'm teaching them how to act. But I am. Because so many kids have never been taught how how to act. Behave. I am teaching them how to behave. By teaching them how to act and by letting them role play it out. We need to model that and be more hands-on in training, reinforcing. That's what it means to lead our kids in Christ by disciplining them. I bring them to church and I take them to children's church. Even though sometimes they go kicking and screaming. Again, my boy. My girls are now, they love it, they go. But there was a time where they wouldn't want to go. Now, I discern. Sometimes I just know it's not. Today, no. Today they come and they just sit with me. But I don't take that as a permanent fixture. Next week I try again. And I bring them to church again. Why? Because I want to reinforce the value that he needs to value one day when he has the ability to make his own decisions. If I slack on bringing them to church now, um, or if I allow them to start valuing other activities above coming here, I can't be surprised if one day they don't value spiritual family. I taught them to undervalue spiritual family. I modeled that to them. It's my fault. And I need to take responsibility of that now to prevent that from happening. Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh man, the Bible has so much to say about kids. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. God just wants us to follow his instruction because his instruction leads to life, leads to breakthrough. I know this is a delicate balance, but it brings me to my next point because um, I think healthy parenting leads to healthy friendship. Many of us want to be friends with our kids. I want to be be friends with my kids one day. I want my kids to to see me as as a confidant, as as a person that they can hang with and and they can enjoy life with. And I don't want my kids to to ever, you know, one day go and and never want to come back home and spend time with dad and mom, etc. at the house. I want to be friends with them. But here's the thing. If I try to be friends with them in the wrong season, I'm going to have the opposite happen. I'm going to have the opposite happen. 3 John 1 verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Let me, t- let me tell you this. If you will parent them now, you'll have them as a pal later. Don't try and be their pal now. Now you're their parent. The fourth thing I want to say about just leading our kids in Christ is we need to let them help. Let your children help. Don't deny their help when they're five, because if you do, they won't offer it when they're 15. Even if it's tedious, even if it's frustrating, even if it slows you down, let them help. Show them value now. Show them that they can do things now. And that brings me to a point about involvement in church. 
don't just see them as, oh, you know what, they're just kind of passively going to be here. And, you know, one day when they're adults, they're going to like, no, get them to be involved now. That bring them to stuff. Don't see them as a burden. See them as part of our responsibility as a local church. Today I'm giving you the, at the, 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 the permission to bring your child to anything we do. If you can't find a babysitter and, 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 and you can't find a, a, a proper solution uh, to, 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 to maybe, you know, if, if, even if it's a thing that's only supposed to be adults, we will accommodate them. Your children are not a burden. They are not a distraction. They are a heritage. They are a blessing from the Lord. And we want them involved. We want them valued. We want them to see that this is their place. It's not my parents' church. It's my church. We want them to feel that way. And the only way they'll be able to feel that way is if they start feeling value. Here. The second point I want to make about this whole fighting as a family thing is that for us to be involved in spiritual family gives us the ability to fight like a family. There's an African proverb that says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. There's something about being with a people that is on a journey somewhere. We're on a journey somewhere. And we can be like a group of tigers trying to fight, or we can become like a pack of lions that love each other, that care for each other, and that fight together, that fight for one another, sometimes to the detriment of ourselves, that I will teach your children, you will teach my children. I, I trust you and you trust me. 1 Peter 3 verse 8 says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic and love one another, be compassionate and be humble. I like that part where it says, all of you be like-minded. We want this local body of believers to be like-minded. So the sermons we share, the, the, the word that goes out from this, whether it's for, uh, from me or from Dustin or from Chuck or from Esther or, or D- Dustin, did I say Dustin? I mean, uh, Ryan at first and then Dustin. No matter who shares the word, we... <laughs> I messed that one up. We, we want those, those words to become mindsets. We want them to become our way of thinking. You know what? When you're part of OSC, you don't just loosely say stupid things, which I'm about to talk to you about that, Okay. That thing can't fall on your house because you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. I had to say that, right? (laughs) But it's true. We start thinking together. We start echoing one another. We start spurring one another on to love and good works. When we are like-minded, when we believe the same, when we are striving for the same things, That's what a great team does, is it works towards one another's uh, strengths because I know your role, but I also know that we have a common thought about your role. And as we start growing together like that, we become powerful. Unity, so a lot can be said about unity. But I will say this about our church. Our church is a simple church. It's not an extravagant church. We don't have, we don't have, a plentiful diversity of all sorts of things. We have very, very simple ways about us. 
we focus on basically three areas. We focus on worship services, we focus on life groups, and we focus on missions. If you want to be a part of this church, that's, that's what you're going to be called on to be involved in. Our worship services, our life groups, and the way we serve our community. Our outreaches, local, local and global. I didn't make that word up, I promise. It's an actual word, okay? It's a bad word, my wife. <laughs> We're a simple church, and we have one strategy for all three of these areas. We just have one strategy, and that strategy is relational discipleship. So how do we do this through the relational discipleship? How do we life groups through relational discipleship? How do we do outreach through relational discipleship? Everything we do flows as an extension from discipleship, and everything we do needs to come back to discipleship because that's our move. That's our move. Because discipleship changes people. It doesn't run programs. It grows people. And that's what we're about. We're about reaching people and building lives to the glory of the God the Father. To, glory of, to the glory of God the Father. You might be asking, well, what, what is this discipleship thing that you're talking about? Well, if you want to know what discipleship is, we first need to talk about what is a disciple. And our very simple, again, definition of what a disciple is, a disciple is simply somebody who follows Jesus, who is part of a spiritual family, and who fish for other people. That's the biblical description of what discipleship entails. And if you're going to, be a, if you're going to do discipleship, if you're going to disciple somebody else, all you're going to do is you're going to help somebody follow Jesus, live in family, be a part of local family, serve in local family, and fish for people. You just help people do that. As you're doing it, you're helping others doing it. That's what the Bible says. Follow me as I follow Christ. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be fanciful. In fact, the simpler it is, the more people will be able to do it. If we're going to fight well as a family, it's because we're committed to being, but also doing church together, like-mindedly. And so today, this is a call to, to just see this as a spiritual family unit and get in with the, 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 the mindset of this place. Understand the vision of this place and understand the call of God on this house and make a decision to join. Make a decision to come in step with that and to, and to put your arm around the next guy and to start pulling together. Romans 12, 4 to 5 says, Just as each of us has, has one body with many, many members, and those members not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You know, I sometimes think of our dream team as the people who just sets up the, the, the room for whatever, set, 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 sets up the table for the, you know, the game that's going to be played. You know, there's always that guy when there's board games or something, they always reset the table. And then there's the, the guys who are just like, there they're waiting, the table gets reset, and then everybody plays together again. <laughs> yes. Moms, you know exactly what I'm saying. Right, you know, you just, just set up the house and so everybody can come and play and mess it up, and then you set up the house. And, you know, we, we, we were always so, you know, frustrated about that. Like, we're just clean here. You know, like, you know, that place is not meant to be lived in after you clean it. 
so, so what we, what we, what we changed in our minds is just saying, look, this is, this is the game of life. And, and somebody has to set the table. <laughs> somebody has to set up the game again so that the next round can happen. But it's the game of life. And when it is set up, everybody can come and have fun. And everybody can enjoy one another. And so what you're experiencing here is some of the joining and, 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 and experiencing the fun of other people coming and setting up. Setting the game of life up. Setting the game of OSC up. And all I can say is that we need you to some, in some areas of our church to be the, the, the setting up part. And in some areas of our church to be the playing along and the participating part. But we would love everybody to somewhere be setting up and somewhere be just participating. In our worship services, we tell our dream team, look, you, you need to be serving one Sunday and then you just need to be attending another Sunday. Because we don't want to burn you out. We want you to, we want you to, 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 to have time of we're pouring into you so that you can again pour out into others. But Sunday services is not the only thing we do. We do life groups. We do our missions. And so some are going to organize the mission but hey, it's the organizing committee that sets up the mission for all of us to come and participate and enjoy that game for that moment. And so don't think, okay, yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not the, on the outreach team or I'm not on the, you know, the, I'm not a, a life group leader or, you know, I'm not in, into that kind of service or that's not my, my gifting that you're not meant to participate. No, you are. But what we try to do is we try to create teams that are loving to set up certain games for all of us to come and participate and play together. And so as a family, we need involvement. In fact, as OSC, we decided we're not going to build a church on a, on, on a membership list. We're going to build a church on participation. We're going to build a church on participation. For us, it's about your involvement, not your information in the database. <laughs> It's just what it is. So many people see it. Okay, I just put my name in that database. Yeah, I've been, I'm a member. People come sometimes and, you know, after five years, I meet them and they go like, uh, oh, I'm a part of your church. I'm like, really? Um, uh, and I assume COVID and everything just to be nice and all that. But then I hear, no, 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 they, they, they last came to our Savior's church when we were in the Rice Theater. Guys, that's like almost six years ago. Okay, so clearly... <laughs> Clearly, you, you've not been a part of the church because the church is not membership roles. It's relationships. It's knowing one another. It's knowing when you're going through crap that we can come in and I can help. It's knowing that when, when I have a hard time, there are people that I can call that can help me. It's learning to live with one another. It's doing life together. If I never see you, never hear of you, <laughs> it's going to be very difficult for me to fight alongside you. But you know what? We're always ready and willing. The minute people go through something, even though I haven't seen them, if somebody lets me know, man, they've been part of OSC before, we reach out immediately. The door is always open. That's what I'm saying. It's, there's no judgment. But the fact is that you will fight more effectively if you're involved. Not by having your name on a list. So our Savior's Church, nowhere, none of the our Savior's Churches are built around, you know, celebrities or celebrity culture where, you know, one person is the be-all and end-all of that church. Uh, uh, our church is built around its people. 
around its people. But that means that it's built around you. <laughs> and that means people are going to want to gather around you. And that means you're going to have to make space for people in your life. And for some of you introverts, you might think like, oh my God, no. No, no, don't worry, don't worry. You can be you. <laughs> you can make space for other introverts in your life, okay? If you're so afraid of us, you know, terrifying extroverts. But maybe it would be a good idea if you have at least one extrovert friend that can, you know, get you out of your house once every six months. To come and, you know, join a picnic at the park or something. I'm just, I'm being, I'm being facetious. I'm just messing. But I really want you to see that it's to have space for people in our lives that makes us family, that makes us able to, to be tight-knit, have the same mindset, to reinforce one another. When we're, when we're visiting and somebody says something stupid, you go, ah, bah, 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 bah. Can, can we rephrase that real quick? And we can do it fun. We don't have to be like, you know, but I'm saying that to say that we need to help one another to grow this unit that will be a preserving force in this place. Some people are scared to go all in with the church. Sometimes it's because they don't know what's inside of them. and They've never been told that this place will value them for who they are and what they bring. Maybe because their parents never showed them that local church can be a place where you are cherished and, and, and celebrated. It always was this obligatory thing. I have to do it. The same with serving on our dream teams. Sometimes people see it as an obligation. I don't want us to see it as an obligation. It's an opportunity for relational connection. That's what it is. It's an opportunity to play the game of life with other people and have fun at the same time. And then have the strength of another person next to you that can help you when you're going through a tough time. It's time that we stop talking about what we can't do and started talking about what we can do. I believe that. And I believe that there is so much in the inside of you that can be a blessing to people around you. I hope that you'll allow us to help you figure that out. And as we together discover it, how that can be. You know, when you start seeing people's lives change around you, it becomes so I don't know, addictive in a sense. <laughs> you just want to see more people grasp the life that there is to be found in Jesus Christ. The freedom from things that have hurt in the past. The freedom from things that have destroyed their peace. That have destroyed their hope. People, lives transformed, stepping out into an identity that, that they've not been able to. Just the confidence and boldness of becoming, a, a, a learning how to walk as a daughter and a, and, and a son of God. It's just beautiful. And seeing that and being used by God to do that, it's absolutely thrilling. And we want each and every one of you to be a part of that. And by getting in, all in with us here at OSC is how you start fighting together with us to see that happen in people's lives. Then the last one, like I said, these things are kind of related but kind of unrelated. The last thing I want to talk about today is just about young people. Young kids that have more or less teenage years going into young adulthood. You know, there's a tendency for us to talk about, talk about young people being the leaders of tomorrow. And, you know, we recognize that, you know, 
Um, one day we'll pass on the leadership baton to them and, and so it'll be their turn to lead and all that. But you know what? If I, my background is college ministry. And what I see that philosophy produce is a lot of kids that can't wait to get away from things where they weren't valued and used to their potential and wanting to get into things that they perceive to have valued them and created opportunity for them. And most of the time, it's not the church. In fact, in college, I recently read a statistic, 70% of church-going kids stop going to church in college. They just stop. They've never learned how to value that space in their lives. And they leave, and, and, and a good number of them actually leave Christianity as well. I know you can be a Christian, although so uh, a lone ranger, um, without being in a church. But it's, it's, that, it's that moving away from that that concerns me. And you know one of the things that we've seen? We've seen children who have been involved who show a different trend. Children who were given responsibility, having a different outlook and mindset about what they were invested in than those who were kind of just tagged along or just kind of tolerated. Right? This is really mom and dad's thing and, and you're kind of like a, mm, you know, a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to just you know, handle you or manage you while I'm doing what I am supposed to be doing. There's very little talk about allowing the next generation to lead while we're still around. Leading with the next generation and including the next generation in everything we do. And especially in this sense, as soon as a child has some form or way of sense and responsibility about them, to give them opportunity to participate and deal with it when it's not as good as that we would have done it. But create that space for them to feel celebrated and feel they have a place here. An equal place here. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be you know, forced into responsibility that they can't handle. But it's going to be very certainly some responsibility that will help them grow. Stretch them a little but communicate to them we see more in you than what you're seeing in yourself right now. We want to call that out of you. 2 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. We should not look down on our children, our teenagers, because they're young. Because if we lead them right, they can do this. Set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, and faith, and purity. OSC is called to be a multi-generational church. A multi-generational church. Let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean just having a place where kids can be babysat while the adults do church. Basically holy entertainment. We're not into that. When your kids come to our kids' church, they're going to be taught the Word of God. They're going to be taught how to pray. They're going to be prayed for baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to lead them to a place where they decide to be baptized. We're going to have Christ formed on the inside of them and show them that they can serve and uh, minister Jesus to other people. 
I can't wait for the day that, you know, um, my kids are able to <laughs> step into this space here and start doing things with us here. But I want to tell you this, if you are willing to bring your kids and let them be trained, they will pray the prayers in front after worship. They will stand behind music instruments and lead us in praise and worship. But we can't do that with your children if your children aren't being led and grown. And so what I'm asking you is don't look down on your teenager. Don't think of them as not wanting to before you have even asked, before you have even motivated and modeled and, and inspired them for reasons as to why we do this, what we do. You know, to lead means that sometimes you're not going to be followed. When you're going somewhere, sometimes it means that somebody's, but if you're not going nowhere, how will you know if they would have followed? So I'm asking you, let your teenagers become involved in the church. Bring them, motivate them, tell them that they can go through next step. Tell them that they can sign up for dream team. Tell them that they can add value and bring their friends to church. Don't think of them as, oh, you know what? They're in limbo. I have seen countless teenagers live purposefully because their parents were willing to involve them, to drag them along and to give them reason for being involved here. We can do better. We don't have to just submit to society's ways of looking at young people. We can lead our young people. Having a multi-gen ministry doesn't mean we just have a teen ministry that just meets somewhere in a week. Half of us don't even know why, where. Um, kind of, a, you know, to, so that they might have this holy social club somewhere out there. And I'm not saying that's what we have. We're not, we don't have that. But that's not what youth is. And, 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 and that's their substitute worship service. No, 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 no. Listen, this is your teenager's worship service. That is their life group and their investment. This is their worship service. If you don't bring them here, if your child can learn algebra, they can learn theology. If your child can, can figure out the, 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 the dynamics and the nuances in their social study things, dealing with the past and having to be confronted by the truths and, and things like that and, and learning how to interpret, if they can do that, they can learn theology. They can understand. Don't look down on them like that. Let's elevate them. Let's believe more of them. Let's expect more of them. I believe they are just living up to our expectations. It's time for us to raise our expectations of our young people. I want to see young people preach in this church. And I want to see us valuing them enough to learn that God can use even a donkey to speak the truth. Why can't he use a teenager that is willing and has submitted his heart to him? And it's willing to, with respect, like the Bible says, treat older men like fathers, treat younger men like brothers, but speak the truth. But how are they ever going to learn that if we never call them into it and we never give them an opportunity? I'm saying that there's opportunity in this church for the next generation. Young people, listen to me. I want you involved. I don't just need you to sit here passively. This is your church. Speak up. 
Call me, make a meeting, sit down, tell me what you need, and we'll try and make it happen. I wrote down so many reasons why this is necessary for us to have. Our church will naturally get older, not younger. If we don't manage to involve our young people, we close our doors in one generation. Why do you think some churches are closing their doors? Because they didn't value the next generation. They didn't listen to them. And it doesn't mean we have to go off the rail theologically. No. It just means that these guys, we need them because we see their, we need their perspective. So that we can um, not just roll over and take every new idea, but that we can, we can present the gospel in a way that speaks to the heart of the next generation. I'm 40. So if you're less than 30, you hardly can understand me anymore. <laughs> Who's my less than 30 people in here? Okay. You know, no, Ryan, you're not less than 30. <laughs> All right. 29. I'm starting to doubt Ryan's capacity to learn theology. He doesn't even know how old he is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say that in jest, but it, it's true. We need young people to step into this place and to, and to start help us see how to present the gospel to, to a generation for it to make sense to them. Not compromise its truth. Just package it in a way that it, it, it helps them to click and to see Jesus as the solution to the problems they're going through. They're going through different things than we're going through. They have different nuances that they need, need to navigate through. Also, we need their zeal and their passion. I mean, if you know, <laughs> you know, I'm a lot more tired at 40 than I was at 35. It's just true. Just wait. <laughs> Jesus have mercy. <laughs> Young people make us go farther and they make us go faster. We need them, y'all. We need you guys. Where are y'all at? I'll look at you. I see you. But here's the thing. They need to be trusted. They need to know that we will listen and not just go, folly, the folly of youth. Oh, the folly. We need more gray heads in here with more wisdom. No, no, no. We need both. You need both. Not one or the other. You need both. But you know what? Sometimes we need to make a healthy imbalance towards the next generation. Because who's the adult? We're the adults, right? <laughs> so if there's anybody that's going to kind of, you know, give up a little in order to, to let another um, have, have the benefit, more, it should be us. We can't organize everything around our comforts, around our ways of looking and seeing things. Because we're the adults. We need to decide to live for them, there comes a time in every parent's life where they need to start serving the path that their kids are stepping into to set them up. And it's less your program becomes less about you. And we all know this. And we think of it as a frustration. No, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And the same with us as a church. We need to see our young people step in and step up, but they will need to be trusted. 
We expect too little of them. No wonder they respond to gangs and drug lords who believe in them and give them responsibility. Let's, let's believe in them. Let's call them up and into. But again, if it's not living in our hearts, how can we expect it to transfer to them? You can only give to your children what lives in you. John 2.14, this is my last point, says this, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men and, 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 and women, because you are strong. And the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. There's something about the zeal, the the sold outness of, of a young person, that if he becomes convinced about something, you can almost stand on your head and whistle every other thing. That was a bad example. But you can, you can try as much as you want. You're almost never going to convince them otherwise. What if young people become so convinced about their faith in Jesus and the love of God for this world, and we let them loose in this place? to testify and to tell their story, to become passionate seekers and worshipers of the presence of God. What if we see young people just stand up and, and say no to things where society is just slipping into and taking a stand and say, we will not step out of God's instruction. I tell you this, the Bible was written for all ages. So church needs to be for all ages. We need to treat it seriously as the, as the Bible treats children and young people seriously. So many, of the, <laughs> so many of the crazy moves God made in the Bible were done through young people and kids. Samuel, David, Timothy. So many. Joshua, it was said that he was a young kid and God called him. We need to review our way of thinking about the next gen and allow them to lead with us. We need to give them a seat at the table, not just to listen, but to share and to contribute. So where are you in this family fight right now? Leading your kids in Christ, being involved in OSC, and letting your young adults, young teenagers lead with us, lead into being involved in what we're doing here. I want to ask you to just take a moment now in prayer and, and ask God to, to come alongside you as, you as you step out in faith, because it is that stepping out in faith, and take your next move in this family fight. Maybe it's just getting involved more, signing up for that dream team, getting to our life groups. Maybe it's, maybe it's just seeing your children for the opportunity that God has given you. Maybe it's just realizing that you've been led by culture in the way you've seen and treated your teenagers and your young adults. And maybe it's, it's taking some steps to motivate them to get involved like you are lead the way model the way let's pray father we just want to come 
today as we end this series ask that you come alongside every single person in the fight that we have father everyone is fighting something different something new something unique but we're all also fighting the same thing and so father i just pray as we as we leave here today that our hearts will become resolute in fighting like family our hearts will become passionate about seeing your purposes just unfold in our children's lives our hearts will become passionate about serving in your family in your house Lord God thank you for the great path and journey that you've set before our Savior's Church Crowley Lord we are here to serve your kingdom we are here to do your work let your kingdom come let your will be done in our church Lord God and through our church I pray that in the name of Jesus Amen